This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order. Order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune covering the Bears. And we are ready for the Lions-Bears hype. The look ahead to a big game in Detroit on Sunday. The Bears come off their mini-bye. Matt Eberflus was at Hallis Hall on Monday. And Dan, I, I think that a lot of people want to know what he had to say about Justin Fields. I, I, I'm less interested in that. I want to know what you saw from Justin yeah. Fields because you had the videotape. It's on your Twitter feed, and it was pretty, pretty telling. Oh, so compelling video, you yeah. know, and it yeah. can only be up until uh, about noon on Tuesday. So if you need to rush over to my Twitter page to get your eyes on that, do it now because it's for a limited time. League rules uh, prohibited staying up longer than 24 hours after it was shot. Uh, that said, the Bears held a short practice on Monday at Hallis Hall. It was basically individual drills and then some walkthrough stuff at the end. We were out there for about 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, Justin Fields was taking snaps. Justin Fields was working through quarterback drills. Justin Fields looked capable of throwing a football. And so my intuition would be that Justin Fields will be your starting quarterback on Sunday at Ford Field. We know Matt Eberflus is not going to make that proclamation until Wednesday. Uh, For whatever reason, he feels like he's getting a competitive advantage by keeping the Lions guessing for an extra two days. And his answers to questions today kind of reflected that. But I would be surprised, David. And if we get to Wednesday and they are still noncommittal, to having Justin Fields as their starting quarterback for this division game against the Lions, then I think we fully unwrap and open the box to whatever guessing game and theories and working guesses that we have for all of it because it'll be a weird situation at that point. We'll get to some of the big picture questions and uh, and what Justin Fields can prove in the final seven games later in this pod, but I do think that the longer this goes on, and I think, do think it's kind of a silly exercise in obfuscation, but I think the longer that goes on, the more it permits some of these kind of silly suggestions that I think are silly or the assumptions that well, maybe Justin Fields is doesn't want to play or maybe Justin Fields doesn't want to this or that. I don't think that's a fair 
assumption, but I'm just talking like we on the Morning Hot Show for an example. You know, our executive producer Dustin Rhodes posed that possibility earlier this more on Monday morning, and I think those kinds of questions are not productive, and I don't think they're fair necessarily. Even though I understand why, the longer this goes on, people might have them. The longer it goes on without clear-cut answers from the people that can provide you clear-cut answers. I, I'm with you. I don't think there's anything there. Um, I think on Wednesday, regardless of, of what they announce or don't announce, we'll have an opportunity to talk to Justin Fields because the presumption is he will continue to practice. And once you practice, you are uh, capable of, of, of speaking. So we should hear from him on Wednesday. Like One of the questions I asked Matt on Monday afternoon was, like, what do you need to see next to get comfortable because he kept saying we're not there yet we you know and he said he just needs to see him in a football setting which means okay he's going to be practicing for real on on wednesday with a defense that he's going against a scout team defense albeit but they want to see that he's functioning well if they get to the end of that practice and they determine nah we don't like what we see you know he just doesn't seem comfortable back there then oh my god you know what i mean like this guy is to be 35 days removed on on uh, Sunday at Ford Field from the last time he played a football game, like you need to be ready now, you know. And again, you, you so much of your future um, hinges on what happens over these next eight weeks, seven games. You know, there, there's a lot for Justin Fields to write in terms of his script. And, and if you're not ready for that, then then we've got bigger bigger problems. It's been a long month, hasn't it? It's been a long month, 35 days. Wow. That has been a while. So I, I think that he was only less uh, vague, slightly less vague, I guess, when he's talking about the offensive line when he was asked about what happens. I think you asked him the question, Dan, about Nate Davis' return and the flexibility, the interchangeability with Cody Whitehair, with Tevin Jenkins, and then with Nate Davis. And, and how did you interpret his answer? Yeah, look, like my educated guess is that when we go back out to Lake Forest on Wednesday, that Nate Davis will will participate in practice in some way, shape, or form, whether it's limited or full, whatever. The sprained ankle is something that is going to be tested this week. And if you decide that he is ready to go and, and resume his place as part of your offensive line, well, now you've got to figure out how you're handling the interior of the line. We've seen Tevin Jenkins flourish beside Darnell Wright. And when you look at kind of a big picture uh the ramifications of those types of things, you're seeing a chemistry develop between two young linemen who are playing very well together on the same side. You may disrupt that because you feel like Tevin going back to the left side and Nate sliding in at the right side gives you a, a better chance to have the best five across the front. Don't know. Cody Whitehair is a guy who who factors into all this. Obviously a mainstay on this offensive line since he got here many, many years ago. And so you've got to work through that as a coaching staff this week. You've got to figure out what makes sense to you, what makes sense for each individual player, and then what makes sense for the, the quintet. And then one of those guys is probably going to be in a reserve role when they go up to, to Detroit on, uh, on on Sunday. And and so we'll see how it, how it shakes out. But that's certainly significant when you're trying to fortify a line, which, by the way, has a chance to be as as – solid and healthy as it's been in a long, long time very soon here. Yeah, I just didn't like the suggestion. I don't think anybody ever really felt comfortable with it, it, a rotation at any line position. And even though there's flexibility and guys may feel comfortable here or there, I just think that you, you want to have uh, five guys that you settle on and you don't really want to get in a rotation for any reason, unless it's injury or conditioning. Like conditioning, yeah, that'd be the only reason I would. Braxton Jones and and um, Larry Boren. But I, I just feel like if you go into Detroit, very 
this year, very difficult environment because it's a very good team. It's the best team in your division. You want to have your five best on the field as long as possible. So let me make this proclamation here uh, on November 13th as we record this podcast. I am excited to go to Detroit this weekend, David. I am excited to walk in that building on Sunday morning because I don't know that I've ever been inside Ford Field uh, when there's been significant energy, much less this level of energy for the Lions. I think we're going to be in an environment that is supercharged, which we're not used to. You've been there many times when the Lions are struggling and people are wearing bags on their heads. You know, this is this is full out onslaught of Lions mania up there. I talked to our good friend Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press uh, on Monday, and he said that he he estimated that there were 20,000 plus people in L.A. at SoFi for Lions Chargers and that this whole season has had this like FOMO vibe for Lions fans who just don't want to miss anything. And so like that place is going to be packed. To your point, it's going to be electric. It's going to be loud. It's going to be supercharged. And there's a really damn good football team waiting for you there. I I just, you know, when you said that, I started to think back to I, I can't remember. I think there's not a, a, a game that stands out or a season that stands out when maybe they had things rolling and it was pretty uh, hard place to play. Maybe one of the Stafford years, I'm trying yeah. to remember what, but Matthew Stafford had a couple seasons where it got a little loud there and he had a very dangerous offense. But I think over overall, when you look at their defense and what they're capable of, when you look at the way they play uh, fast and their, their speed, and, and Dan Campbell has a lot to do with that, the way he coaches, and I think fast, physical, and violent. I mean, those are things that when you hear him say, you're like, yeah, okay. And I think it does galvanize a fan base. So I'm a little jealous that I'm not going to be at this game because I think it would be a game worth covering. Yeah, and it looked like it's a measuring stick game for the Bears because, you know, you can take – certain positive things and and moments of encouragement out of a win over the Panthers on a Thursday night, but you're going to play the division leader. You're going uh, to try to win a division game for the first time in, in almost two calendar years. You are, are trying to see how you stack up against quality teams in this league and, and in particular the NFC North. And this is a great opportunity to test it because the Lions are playing with a ton of belief. They're playing with a ton of continuity. They're playing with a ton of energy and they're playing fearless. And that I think is the one thing that Dan Campbell has brought. And we can get into this more later in the week when we're doing our full game preview. But that team is fearless right now. Uh, and it's reflected in some of the things they're doing offensively, not only with the production, but the way that they they are aggressive in all situations and going for it on fourth down. Uh, you see the way that they uh, finished off the Chargers on Sunday by, by going for it on fourth down one more time and, and being able to take all the rest of the time off the clock before you kick your game-winning field goal. That team's legit right now. They're for real. Uh, and I think the only way that that the Lions don't kind of blow the doors open in that game is if they get a little bit bored because it doesn't feel like a great matchup for the Bears. But then again, like this is a, a, your chance. Like step up. Step up in class. Take a challenge with a, a higher degree of difficulty and show that you belong on that same field. Win a division game, <laughs> win a game on the road, win a game against an opponent who has a winning record, which you haven't done the last 15 times that you've played them. I think when you talk about the uh, Lions and the Chargers game, that was fun to follow, uh, even though they didn't show that in the Chicago area. We had to be exposed to Cowboys Giants. <laughs> but we look at that was a battle of uh, the, the game that punters hate that there were. I think the Lions were three of four in fourth down uh, attempts and the Chargers were three for three. They were seven out of eight combined in fourth down attempts. Both coaches very aggressive and trying to kind of revolutionize the way they go about the job in their respective organizations. And the Lions got the better. And they scored 41 points 
and and that's an offense that scored 41 points against that Charger defense the Bears uh, did not beat. And I think when you think consider that challenge for Matt Eberflus's defense, we're going to find out in a hurry just how legitimate this defense is. Yeah, and like you know, so this brings me to another thought, and and like. Sunday was a unique time for me because I get to sit back, you know, with this with this mini buy and the Bears playing on Thursday night. I got to watch a lot of other football around the league and you see certain things and you're like, I bet you if you took a poll of most people in Chicago and you asked them about Dak Prescott as a quarterback, they'd go, eh, I don't know. If you asked them about Jared Goff as a quarterback, they'd go, eh, I don't know. You'd ask them about these guys and then you watch those guys play football and they are miles ahead of anything that the Bears have put on the field as a quarterback in the last five years. And you're like, okay, well, so like these guys are the – level that you're trying to get to before you get to the level that you're trying to get to, you know? And so that's why, the, the, you know, the, it's just, it's remarkable to watch it. Jared Goff is playing with a great amount of command right now. He understands how to get the ball to his playmakers. They're a very balanced offense. They got Dave Montgomery. They got Jameer Gibbs. They got Amon Ross St. Brown, the tight end out of Iowa. Sam Laporta is having a great rookie season. There's a lot here to handle if you're Matt Eberflus in his defense. They better be ready for it. And that right tackle, Panay Sewell, is a load. He's going to be uh, he's going to be a force. And then you go on the other side of the ball, Aiden Hutchinson. They are they they are a very good team. And I was I was wrong about the Lions in the preseason because I felt like they were going to be doing things that Lions teams typically do. But they have yet to disappoint anyone. We'll see how long it lasts. But they're in the right division because there's no – I mean, the Vikings are resurgent. You wonder how long that fairy tale is going to last for Josh Dobbs. But what Sunday kind of reinforces that I think that when, when the Lions did what they did against the Chargers, that just says, all right, they benefited from their bye week and they're going to be a different team down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, look, they were horrible against the Ravens. And that's their one game this year where you're like, OK, that looks like a pretender. Every other game this season, they look for real, you know, and they're, they're playing with, a, again, a level of confidence that is notable and and propels you to to potentially think about not only having the the, the shot at, at the one seed in the conference but the, the chance to, to make a little run in January which is something we never talk about here uh, I'm going to give Adam Stadzinski our producer a little homework assignment here because the last time we were, I was up at Ford Field was was New Year's Day and I think I blew a gasket because the Bears got their teeth kicked in that day you remember it really well they got off to an okay start and then just got their teeth kicked in and basically folded in that game and i just i don't know that i've ever been angry or doing a post-game podcast because it was just so disgusting to watch that brand of football against an opponent that was clearly playing a different brand of football you know and so i i don't i don't know how accessible that Mm. that that, that clip is but i I don't i don't know if that's gonna be a a tough bar to clear the angriest you've ever been in a post-game podcast let's see here Okay. We could we could we could set a poll, right? What we could game have a list would that of be? 10 or 12. <laughs> but that's certainly one of them. I mean, sometimes you're just defeated, you like, know, not good enough. I but know. That, but a... that was just like that was it was a disgusting display of football yeah. uh, by everyone, by every single person involved. And so they got to go back up there. Um, and one of the reasons I bring that up is because that defense clearly found ways to hem uh, Justin Fields in, you know, and keep him in there and and make him try to figure some things out. And then they were able to have great success in shutting down the entire Bears offense once they had once they had him inside there. You mentioned watching football on Sunday. A couple other takeaways before we get back to the Bears. I think that as <laughs> it pertains to the Bears, three things I think. Uh, one, the Jordan Love is every garbage as as ordinary as as we suspected. The Packers lost, so that was a good thing. That's a big takeaway in Chicago. Number two, Kyler Murray 
snuck a game or they stole a victory from the Falcons. He comes back and he looks like he's going to be able to supply the Cardinals with a little hope down the stretch. And they're going to win some games. And why that matters is because everyone's paying attention to the bottom of the barrel and the Panthers look like they're a safe bet. Well, a lot of football left, but they look like they're going to be hard pressed to win more than three games. And the other teams in contention Maybe, maybe better than that. I don't know about the Giants. Yes, they stink out loud. And and uh, poor Tommy DeVito. Poor Tommy DeVito, the pride of I L L I N I. My goodness, he can live at home. I don't even know if his mom would let him back in the house after that disastrous performance against the Cowboys. Didn't even throw for more than a hundred yards. Poor guy, the rookie. He is not Tyson Bajant, but the Giants really are bad. So I wonder if it's going to be Panthers, Giants, Patriots. Then who? Maybe the Bears again. Maybe the Bears uh, again. Maybe the so, Bears. I mean, but like, you know, a couple things from me on, on the Sunday viewing experience. Number one, the bookends of the day were, were disaster. Colts, Patriots in, in Germany, like that game was gross. It couldn't couldn't get to the noon slate of games fast enough after watching that. I wanted to pour bleach in my eyes and, and, and rinse them out. And then we get to the nightcap and you've got Jets Raiders. And oh, my God, like I have sat through some abysmal offense in my time on the Bears beat. The Jets are are they're a mess offensively. They've got they've got some playmakers like Garrett Wilson playing in a functional offense could have had 270 yards, you know, in a game. And they just can't get anything done. So it's, you watch these and you're like, oh, God. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. But then again, in that middle tier, there's these games where you're like, there's there's all these okay, to, oh, maybe they're okay, good teams, and, and, and the Bears are still behind them. And one of those teams, which I wanted to get your take on, is the Minnesota Vikings, who walked into Soldier Field at 1-4 and four with their best player headed for injured reserve and somehow haven't lost since, despite their starting quarterback also tearing his Achilles. I think the Vikings are a great story. I think they're very well coached, and you can see the evidence of – an offensive scheme really making a difference and maybe maybe grasping the obvious. And, and maybe, again, it's easy to say this from afar to oversimplify, but what Kevin O'Connell has done was in some way he has streamlined the offense so Josh Dobbs can learn it quickly and also accentuate his strengths. He's a mobile quarterback. He's not afraid to 
uh, mixing routes, and they have good skill. They have good skill beyond Justin Jefferson. You, you look at the rookie Jordan Addison. He's been tremendous. They use their tight end very well, and yeah. he's a weapon. And they use the passing games kind of to complement the running game, and their defense has been good enough. And they have some guys who are disruptive there. Daniel Hunter, you know, Murphy is kind of hit or miss. He plays uh, – he, he gets beat a lot, I think, but he also makes some plays on the ball. But the, I think that's almost like – it's hard to look at the Vikings and not think that, boy, that they're a product of coaching as much as they are of talent. And they yeah, have I mean, most out of that roster. There's no argument to be made otherwise. You know, I mean, it's just it's incredible that they're on a five game surge. The Bears haven't won consecutive games since 2021. This team loses the best receiver in football and their starting quarterback in a span of like 22 days. And they're on a five game heater right in the thick of the NFC wildcard race. And and you could make the argument that the two coaches at the top of the NFC North right now are front runners for coach of the year with Dan Campbell and Kevin O'Connell. I would think that's true. The thing that really bothers you from a Bears perspective is that Kevin O'Connell was a guy that started, he started the same season Matt Eberflus did. Sure Mike did. McDaniel started the same season Matt Eberflus did. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's down in Houston, defensive-minded head coach. And he's getting the most out of a young quarterback because he hired the right offensive coordinator. When you see these things around the league and you take a step back, yeah, you could really get frustrated even though even though the Bears are coming off a of victory. You start to look at what other teams are doing and you're like, why isn't that why can't that happen here in Chicago? Because that's the frustration that you feel when you watch some of these teams play. Most notable member of the Houston Texans offensive coaching staff right now? Hmm. Bill Lazor. Wow. Wait a second. <laughs> Repeat that. Bill Lazor's Bill Lazor's playing a big role in the in the Houston Texans. I'm not saying a, I'm not saying a big role, but he's part of the offensive coaching staff there as a, a, a as a helper on that staff. And so uh, you know, that obviously Bobby Slowick, the coordinator there is doing a wonderful job with CJ Stroud and my god, like CJ Stroud is the outlier by a, a million miles right now in terms of a rookie quarterback who got on the runway and has launched himself so, to to start him. In your world, did the Panthers miss on C.J. Stroud or did the Bears? Yeah, everyone. You're right? I mean, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, but, not, I mean, but not everyone had the number one overall pick, Dan. That's what I mean. No, I know. I mean, everyone in those two answers that you you told me about right there because, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I look like I got in an argument with a, a diehard Bears fan of mine, loyal listener of the Take the North podcast about how much we should put into the conversation, just even the conversation about did the Bears miss on C.J. Stroud? Because he said, oh, nobody was ever really talking about C.J. Stroud as a realistic option for the Bears. I said, well, wait a second. He was widely regarded as one of the top two, if not, you know, the best or the th- certainly top three quarterbacks in a draft class where you had the number one pick. Certainly the Bears evaluation of who he was as a quarterback is relevant. And I certainly would like to learn more about what um, they weren't sold on with CJ Stroud. Obviously we documented the reasons that it made sense to stay the course and see it through with Justin Fields. But this was a decision that we talked about multiple times in the spring was going to be defining based on how these guys pro careers played out. I suddenly want to as well, because these CJ Stroud is one of three quarterbacks who quote didn't blow Ryan Poles away. He wasn't blown away. By it's not CJ like he was Stroud. a fifth round guy, you know. I mean, he was at the top of the draft board. He was evaluated as one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft. I mean, Carolina. There were rumors because he was going to go there because Josh McCown winked at him a certain way <laughs> or whatever. You know, I, I don't know why CJ Stroud didn't come out of left field. Here's a question that I asked my I asked this morning on Monday morning on, on Mullen Hall. I wondered. 
I wonder if the evaluation or the relative success or lack of success from Justin Fields and the Ohio State quarterback, it if it if it affected the evaluation of C.J. Stroud in that people would stay away because, you know, at Ohio State, you have every built-in advantage. You have an offensive line that's going to protect you. You've got an NFL-wide receiving core, and you have poor competition. And I don't know that you always get a true evaluation of who a quarterback can be, and maybe that factored into some people staying away from C.J. Stroud because, like, oh, look, we were wrong about Justin Fields. He's struggling might be wrong about this kid, too, because he has the same advantages at Ohio State. But again, when we walked out of Soldier Field in week 18 last year and everything was, you know, there was another parade in Chicago because they got the number one pick and the Texans and Lovey, they, you know, they pooped down their leg and they won a game that they shouldn't have won. And they, they were going to do massive harm to the franchise. And the counter argument was, well, we'll see. Let's see. Well, guess what? The Houston Texans might be playing in the postseason with their quarterback position and their head coaching position seemingly firmly solidified already. Now, look. Look, this is the NFL. Things go haywire in a hurry. Uh, we could be having a totally dis- different discussion a year from now. But that certainly seems like the dream scenario of getting it right at two of the most important positions in the building and being able to kind of reap the rewards of that for as long as you can imagine. And they were a train wreck of an organization. And then they get it right. And C.J. Stroud, he out Joe, he outburrowed Joe Burrow. I mean, he was better than Joe Cool. And now he's got what, 15 touchdowns <laughs> and two interceptions it's absurd how well I know he I know he went into the weekend even before the game on Sunday with more passing yards in his first eight games as a pro than Justin Fields had in his entire second season okay we we need to get off this it's going to get triggered and we have to have another sort of uh we'll have to another have another sort of podcast like that we're being very <laughs> calm today all right so in between watching the games we had plenty of time to read the Chicago Tribune Sunday edition and whether it's online or in print, you took some real good hard looks at some big picture questions, which I think would be interesting to revisit here if for people who did not get the paper. But I would encourage everyone to get the paper or at least go to ChicagoTribune.com and check it out. There might be a paywall, but pay up, guys. Come on. You have to pay for journalism these days, especially good stuff. All right, Dan, so what do you think about yeah. overall? So this would be a good exercise for the both of us to kind of sound through. But I, I took a look at five big picture questions that the Bears had to answer down the stretch of this season. I'm going to ask them each to you and we can kind of sound out each one of them as we go through this. And the, and the first one is what's next for Justin Fields. And the first part of that question is basically in week 11, what's next for Justin Fields this week? Uh, keep your answer confined to between now and Sunday at four o'clock Detroit time. Yeah. I think what's next for Justin Fields is to show that he can uh, operate the offense as well as the guy who replaced him. I think that you need to see some growth in terms of him processing information at the line of scrimmage quickly, in the pocket quickly. I think you want to see improvement in accuracy. You want him to take some shots down the field. And then you want to return to the explosiveness that we saw during a six-game stretch last year after that mini-buy. After this mini-buy, it's an opportunity for Justin Fields to go out and to remind us what special looks like. All right. I'm not going to disagree with anything you said there in the second part of the question. Question number two is, okay, but what is really next for Justin Fields? And that's that's more of the big picture lens. I'm like, what does this mean? What is the okay. significance of this seven-game stretch for the Bears organization, which is going to have huge decisions to make in the offseason, for Justin himself, whose career is kind of at, at this this pivot point? What does what this next two months really mean for Justin Fields? We just got done going on a little bit of a, a rant, if you will, or a description about C.J. Stroud and what he was able to accomplish in nine games. 
after about six, people were going on a similar diatribe describing what he did well. It doesn't take long in the NFL. You're three games away from crisis or carnival, as Foxy used to say. Justin Fields has seven games. He can be that guy and have that kind of season. What's really next for Justin Fields? An opportunity to take advantage of if he wants to change people's minds. And right now, it's an uphill battle in Chicago, not only for fans and media, but I think maybe in his front office. If he really wants to change people's minds, he's not going to have to just play the role and and the position. He's got to be exceptional. He's got to have a a C.J. Stroud-like second half. Can he do it? I doubt it. But that's the answer to the question. What, What can he do? He can change people's minds by being outstanding. Yeah, and in playing winning football. You know, I hope he doesn't feel the pressure to take, you know, what we already said was going to be at least a 35-day layoff if he does return on Sunday at Ford Field and and feel the urge to make up for it all at once. Just play good, solid winning football. Put your team in position to win a game, and then when it's a close game in the fourth quarter, go win one for once. You know, take, take control of this story. You've got the steering wheel. Drive it down the road that you think we should be down and continue to do that for seven games through the end of the season. The durability thing is obviously an issue. I was asked by uh, – Dan Bernstein and, and Lawrence Holmes on on Monday afternoon whether the spasm of Bajant mania is over and I said I, you know there might be another spasm waiting because I don't know if Justin's going to play seven consecutive games to end the year we have seen 44 Bears games played since the Bears drafted Justin Fields he's missed 11 of them okay that's a quarter you can do that math quickly I know that Ball State degree hangs Sorry. up in that office for a reason because you can do percentages 25% of the games have been missed and he's only won six times so like let, let's reverse some of these numbers that we talk about you and I were the originators of the no excuses tour and yet there are people now saying like okay now it really sets up to be the no excuses tour like okay wh- why are we having so much trouble getting this tour bus out of out, out of the, the the loading docks here like let's go no more excuses play well and make something happen yeah i think it's well put i mean this tour's not going so well i gotta say no a lot of excuses plenty plenty of excuses and plenty of seats available so all right what's the third point a couple more questions matt eberflus He's uh, obviously uh, been a hot topic of conversation, uh, three and seven this season. We know it was three and fourteen a year ago. What do you think should be at the center of his perform- performance review when when Kevin Warren and presumably Ryan Poles sit down on the Monday of Week 19 and figure it out? I think that's a great question. I think it's pretty open ended. I'll try to be succinct. I think when you're talking about coaches and evaluating coaches. You do evaluate them by the records, which isn't going to speak well for Matt Eberflus. I also think that in the room, in those settings, you know it when you see it and when you hear it. And I just don't know if that's going to be in his favor. I think Kevin Warren's going to want to be wowed if he sits down and he's in the room with Ryan Poles. I don't think that Ryan Poles is going to be evaluating Matt Eberflus as much as maybe Kevin Warren is going to be evaluating Matt Eberflus or Kevin Warren evaluating Ryan Poles evaluating Matt Eberflus. You've got to dazzle him you've got to have a clear plan a simple strong message and i don't know that he's capable of doing that quickly dan i while uh, on monday morning uh went to wrigley field or clark and addison the cubs uh complex and i was sitting in the room when craig council took over as manager of the cubs they poached him from the brewers it was a great cubby coup of 2023 craig council understands clear strong messaging and communication he is that kind of a guy 
you know it when you see it. And we heard it from Craig Council. It could not help but contrast that when I got in the car and I'm listening to Matt Eberflus <laughs> at the podium. And I'm not trying to be unfair to him, but I'm just telling you my, my point of reference here. Then I hear Matt Eberflus do what he so often does, too often does. He muddled the message and he didn't have a clear plan, even for that day. The great coaches have a plan for every hour and every quarter hour of every hour of every day. I just don't know that he has that, and I think it's reflected in his team. Somehow there's a lack of talent, and there's not a great amount of direction. So I think that it's an uphill battle for Matt Eberflus. A couple quick footnotes on that conversation. His winning percentage is .222. It's the worst uh, of any Bears coach all time. We know that there have only been uh, one coach, what has been only been one coach in Bears history that in the Super Bowl era that hasn't made it to a second season. That was Mark Tressman and Mark Tressman only. I was more surprised to learn that over the past 30 years, there have been 57 NFL head coaches that haven't made it to a third season, including 15 who have either coached for the, the Browns or the Raiders, which is uh, you know, a trap door when you walk into one of those buildings. So that surprised me. And then the other number I wanted to give you is that Matt Eberflus's defenses have, have a takeaway total through 27 games of 32. That's more than a season and a half of football. They've got 32 takeaways. That is the T in the hits principle. Lovey Smith's teams over nine years averaged 34 takeaways per season. So you see like the difference between what you said you were going to do and what somebody who Darty has done it accomplished with their defense. Uh, that, I thought that was a notable note as well. When you under deliver on that promise, yes, it makes it easier to fire him. And especially when you consider you do have a new president who I think is going to be more impactful in these offseason decisions than maybe people anticipate. Also, two and ten in one score games, and those wins were over the Texans a year ago and the Panthers this year. So not they're exactly. They're 15 against the last 15 opponents <laughs> with winning records. Ugly. I don't think we need. I don't. I don't think it's a lot. I don't think it's a a, a long closing argument. <laughs> All right. Question four for you: Has the Bears defense made a significant breakthrough recently? I'm curious what you think of that. I would say yes. I think the significant breakthrough for me, and maybe it's all about expectations, but they're stopping the run at a higher rate than I ever anticipated. Andrew Billings is doing the job, and I think Montez Sweat's addition has helped the pass rush. Maybe not cured everything. You get the secondary healthy, and I do think at times, dare I say, if the secondary plays at a, at a very high level, and the, and the run defense statistically is playing at a very high level, uh, it's odd that I think the, the secondary flashes on tape more than the run defense, but I think they're probably easier to watch. Linebackers have been solid. Uh, TJ Edwards in against the run and Jack Sanborn. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds has been injured and out, so maybe it's not fair to fully evaluate him. But I do think they probably have had a significant breakthrough. And if you're looking at something about this season that Matt Eberflus could lay a claim to and say, hey, look at this it would be the, the improvement of the defense. I, I mean, look, like I'm right there. There's statistical evidence to, to tell you that this team has been playing better, that they're keeping the Bears in games much better than they did in 2022. This defense seems to be moving in the right direction. But again, like this comes down to how many game-changing plays can you make? So those sacks and those takeaways have to come here. You know, if you've made the breakthrough, the next step is to make the next breakthrough, which is the sacks and the takeaways. We'll see if the Bears can get there. And as we've mentioned, the Detroit Lions, two of the Bears' next three games are against the Lions, and they are, they are are shredding everybody so if you can stand up and, and hold your own against this lions team twice in the next four weeks then then we can talk about an even even bigger breakthrough there all right last question uh, we talked about justin fields we talked about M maddie Rufus. who in your mind has the most to prove besides those two gentlemen down the stretch of the season Oh, I really like that question the most approved besides justin fields and matt eberflus 
I would say if it's player or coach, I would, I would, I'll give you one coach and one player. The coach is Luke Getze. The coach is Luke Getze, who built up all the goodwill in season one to the point where we had the comical short conversation in town by among some people about, oh, what are we going to do when Luke Getze's a head coach? <laughs> can, you, can you really afford to let him go? Oh, gosh. Do you remember those days? I do. Anyway, I think he's got the most approved because of his tendency to get too cute and try to outsmart everybody when you don't need to. He needs to take the simple plays and take advantage of those. I think Luke Getze has the most approved over the last two last seven games, and maybe the most to gain as well. Uh, as a player, I really think that Jalen Johnson can take a step forward to continue to maybe progress. He needs more interceptions in the final seven games. There's going to be a big contract negotiation, yep. maybe a big decision by the front office, and he wants to put himself in the best possible light. As an individual, there's not really anyone else skill-wise that I think could gain as much as Jalen Johnson could over the final seven games. So I'd say it'd be Jalen Johnson. Jalen is definitely on my short list as well as his 2020 draft classmate, Darnell Mooney, who's in the final stretch of his rookie contract as well. And, and obviously wants to uh, establish himself as a guy that, that should get paid next spring by someone somewhere. Uh, I think Montez Sweat, as you and I have talked about previously, has a lot to prove, even though he already has his deal and his uh, money safely secured and whatever bank he uses to safely secure it. He's got to prove that he, he is the star that the Bears believe him to be, that he is the multiplier that is going to take this defense to the next level. That pressure is on him now, and so he has to uh, live up to that and, and handle it the right way. We'll see if he can do that. And then I would talk about Tevin Jenkins a little bit as a guy who obviously, when healthy, and particularly this year, shows flashes of being a guy that you want to believe in. You want to say this guy should be a part of our future, and yet the durability has been such a problem for his entire time in the league that now this this stretch of, you know, I think it's six straight games that he's played without a setback, you're going, okay, can we get that up to 13 by the end of the year and then start thinking about really really locking you down as, as somebody that should be a part of this offensive line for years to come because you and I both know every time you've got to replace someone that you thought was going to be that guy for whatever reason you're just setting back the the progress of your rebuild or your resurgence or whatever you want to call it your return to relevance more than you need to set it back and so if they could have a healthy productive Tevin Jenkins and say yeah that whatever happened in Indy that caused that four game stint on IR is in the rear view and we've got a whole different guy to evaluate going forward that would be huge for this organization. That's a good one. Those are good questions. That was a productive thing. I think he covered a lot of ground. That's what made it easy to read on Sunday in the Chicago Tribune and chicagotribune.com. Go ahead and subscribe, people. Anything else, Dan, before we get out of here? No, like I say, I'm really looking forward to, to this week in, in Detroit. It's going to be an interesting one with the Lions. I will, we'll preview the uh, the game a little bit more later in the week. And hopefully we'll have more answers about the quarterback situation uh, from the quarterback himself uh, later in this week. I think it'll be interesting to get, uh, hopefully, a longer session with Justin to, to find out what his life's been like over the last 35 days. That'd be great. Look forward to that. Also, a shout-out, Brady Hoke, San Diego State coach, retiring Today, the announcement came on Monday. Brady Hoke, former Ball State football player before my time, but he is also the brother of John Hoke, the Bears' secondary coach. Brady was a very successful coach at Ball State, went on to Michigan, had some mixed results there, ended up at San Diego State, but really a football guy's football guy, really good coach, great guy. Congratulations to Brady Hoke. Job well done, career well spent, and I uh, hope you enjoy your retirement. So shout out to Brady Hoke. There you go. All right, and we'll be back on Friday morning when we have our predictions, um, when we talk about the Lions, the, the team that is fast, physical, and violent. 
I think I know which way our predictions will be going, but we'll, we'll break it down. Hopefully we'll have some more clarity on the quarterback situation and everything else. So thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on the Free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on the 670 Sports YouTube page. For Adam Szynski, Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw. We'll talk to you next time on the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.